You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Mentioned, you know, probably about half the messages through this, we've talked from time to time about enemies of the vision. You know, from the very beginning, if you think about the times that God works and speaks, calls, you know, we talked about how God calls a person, He lays a vision, a purpose upon that person to reach other people. And inevitably, He gives that man a vision, gives that person a vision, but then there's always enemies to that vision. There's somebody that stands against it, even if it's themselves. In my devotions today, I was reading about Moses. And, you know, Moses, well, he, he had an inner voice, if you will, that said that that was against the vision. And that was, Lord, you've got the wrong guy. You know, uh, God, I'm not the guy for this job. I, I mean, I'm not eloquent. I, you know, I've, I've never been eloquent. I'm not able to do this. And, and he had a number of excuses, did Moses. Uh, so it's just repeatedly. I think about Nehemiah. Just go right down the list of the enemies of the vision. But Tonight, I want to take a closer look connected with the truth about there being an enemy of the vision and really going to the heart of the enemies of the vision. Of course, from the very beginning, there's been an enemy to God's vision. Uh, And that being Satan himself. If you think about it in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God had a walk with man. God God had a plan for man. But what happened? Satan come to the Garden of Eden and begin to attack that vision, attack God's plan, attack God's purpose. He began to attack the man and the woman. He began to attack the first home. He began to attack the people that God loved. And he began to question God's word. And so from the very beginning, there was an enemy of the vision. Think about this. Satan was present in Genesis 3.15 when God said that the seed of woman will bruise your head one day. That the woman is going to have a child. There's going to be a godly descendant that's going to destroy you. So it was no accident that Satan inspired Cain to kill Abel. Because he looked at the two and he's like, well, it's not. I don't believe it's Cain. Cain's not the righteous seed, uh, but it might be Abel. Maybe he's going to be the one. Maybe he'll be the child that destroys me. So I'm going to, make, I'm going to destroy him. And that's what happened. But then, of course, God raised up Seth. Seth was the one through whom the godly line would go. And just right down through there, the many attacks, many assaults on the Jewish people throughout the Word of God, especially before the birth of Jesus Christ, why the annihilation of the Jews? You know, as I mentioned, I'm in Exodus right now in my reading, and several of us are, but why kill all the Jews? Oh, well, because if there's an army that comes against Egypt, there's a bunch of these Jews. They're, you know, really, they're Hebrews at this point. Uh, Jews has to do with Judah, just one tribe of the Hebrews. But, but nevertheless, you get, get what I'm saying. This whole time, they're saying if, if an army comes against us here in Egypt, the Jews may raise up and side with that army and they'll defeat us. Well, so that's what their excuse was. But I'm telling you, at the heart of it was Satan, because he's a liar from the beginning. He's a murderer from the beginning. So he just began to attack the seed. So we see that. Tonight, I want to take a text in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Mark 8, 31. And just to share my heart with you tonight, Mark 8, 31. 
The Bible says, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And He spake that saying openly. And Peter took Him and began to rebuke Him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Verse 34 and 35 go along with it, because now he's speaking from himself, from the context of, hey, <laughs> and remember, this still... The disciples still didn't see it coming. The Bible says in these verses that Jesus taught them openly. Hey guys, just so you know, I'm going to be going to uh, Jerusalem. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees. I'm going to be killed, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again on the third day. They didn't get it. And you could see when you read the rest of the Gospels, they didn't get it, but Jesus told them this. But Peter rebuked him. And we'll see how, kind of how that's connected. Get thee behind me, Satan. But then it goes on to us. Because in verse 34 it says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You know, the paradoxes of Scripture. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Now, it's interesting when he looks at Peter and says, For thou savorest the things that be of men and not the things that be of God. And that word savorest is interesting to me. It's, it's, it's translated savorest in many places. Um, there's one place where it's translated do mind, as in you consider, you yield, you, you stop. And, in other words, you're thinking in a worldly way here, Peter. But really the word savorous means has to do with enjoying. Any of you savor a good meal? You know, savor a good cup of coffee? Like you just, you just enjoy it. This is what you enjoy. You savor it. But Jesus is saying, Peter, you're enjoying the things of man, not the things of God in your thought process, in your planning. And if you think about what's the context, Jesus said, I'm going to go suffer. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. Oh, no, 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 Lord. No, no, Lord. You don't need to go the way of suffering. No, no, Lord. You, you should get the crown right away. Uh, don't go the way of the cross. You should just go straight to the crown. And that's what every one of the apostles were expecting. None of the apostles were prepared for the cross, even though we just read that Jesus told them about it. And so that's interesting context here. So when I think about this, Jesus is on this earth. What's the cross, people? That's his life's mission. That's his vision. I mean, the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The Bible says that he set his face as a flint 
to go to the cross. In other words, this is my life's mission. I am here. Yes, I'm healing the sick. I'm raising the dead. I'm being good to people. I'm doing all these other things. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing what it is to be a man in the flesh outside of having sin because Jesus uh, had no sin. But he's living. But ultimately, it's going to the cross, people. But now here's Peter saying, no, no, no. He is hindering the vision. Peter is standing in front of Jesus saying, don't go this way. Now, at this point, when, when you're preaching on a topic like this, it's really hard. And it's one reason why this is this has been a topical series. I typically don't preach too many topical series because I like going verse by verse. Otherwise, you can get a little spread out. You can get a little bit of shotgun going on. And but just bear with me tonight. And I hope you can follow as we consider this. Think about this because I, I say that. Because there's a fascinating thing in this whole conversation to me. Number one, Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. If you back up a few verses, you'll find out that Jesus asked the question, Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter's the one that spoke up and says, well, men say this, men say that, you know, uh, you know, John the Baptist and, and, uh, but, but, but he says, well, who do you say that I am? And he says, well, well, you're the Christ, the son of God. I believe you're the Messiah. And then Jesus, I mean, you could just, I believe you can read the excitement in Jesus's words. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father. Wow. Man, I just imagine Peter was 10 feet tall as if his head wasn't already big enough. Now Jesus is talking about, I can just imagine Peter looking around. You hear that? I, God, I, I just heard from God the father. Y'all didn't. I spoke up. Here he goes, being praised. But in the same conversation before it's over with, he gets back down to earth when Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, he knew, it wasn't that Peter was Satan, but the words that he was sharing were Satan's words. The spirit of what he was sharing was the spirit of Satan, if you will, the, the, the attitude of Satan, the, the idea of Satan. And I'll prove that to you in just a moment. So, but it's fascinating to me that the words that were trying to stop Jesus from his vision, from his purpose, came from a Christian. A Christian became a mouthpiece for Satan. The same Christian that earlier was a mouthpiece for Christ. It reminds me of what James said. He said, you don't, go, if you don't go to the well and get fresh water out of the well and then go back to that same water and get bitter, bitter water out of that well. That's not the way it ought to be. So that shouldn't be the way that we are as Christians. Oh, it's great that at one moment, oh, blessed are you. Oh, man, you are saying the right thing. God bless you, Christian. But we can, be, we can turn around and be used as a mouthpiece for Satan. I wonder why the Bible says so much about the words we speak. I wonder why the Bible warns in the book of James, Behold, how, how, how great a, a matter a little fire kindleth. And it says the tongue is a fire. 
a flame. It says it's set on the fire of hell. The tongue. Oh, the warnings throughout God's word about what you say. We've been reading a proverb a day for the 31 days of January. There's 31 proverbs. Proverb a day. You can read through those proverbs. A lot to be said about what you say. You get into the New Testament epistles. There's a lot to be said about what you say. You can be Satan's mouthpiece if you don't watch what you say. Um, but not only did a Christian, they, this guy wasn't just a Christian, he was a preacher. Now the preacher is Satan's mouthpiece. It's just fascinating. And we may say more about that, but I'm thinking about enemies of the vision because... You know, I, I think about situations like this. This is probably the, one of the most stark, but I think about even in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra. The same people that were excited to hear about the vision that God had for the city and what God was going to do. Man, you talk about the frustration. It's heartbreaking when you read it. It's, it's, Ezra, and it's, it's Ezra and Nehemiah. There's different stories pertaining to this. But you can just about read the heartbreak when he finds out that, wait a second, the enemy has power against us. The enemy has inside stuff on us. What's going on here? Oh, well, there's some people within the city that are related to, the, has married into the family of those people outside of the city, and they've been kind of sharing some things with them. They probably said this is a prayer request. Pray for Nehemiah, you know, he's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm scared that he's, if he keeps doing what he's doing, the, the king, the king uh, is going to be coming against us and, and armies are going to come in and take away everything that we've got. I don't know. But the point just being that we've got to check our hearts, our minds, our mouths. But the, the overall point, looking at the Lord Jesus Christ Satan had no intentions of just letting Jesus go to the cross without a fight. Now, again, did, didn't Satan want Jesus to die? He did. He really did. Um, but I'm going to show you something in a moment about this, but I'll just get back to us for a moment. Satan and his forces, Satan and his forces have no intentions of allowing you to lay hold of God's vision for your life. And that includes if you're here today and you're not saved by the grace of God. Or if you're listening and you don't know Christ as Savior, He has no plan just to let you get saved without trying to, to make you try to get you thinking about next week, maybe. You know, I'll just wait till I'll wait another week and then I'll get saved. Uh, or, or some other excuse why not to get saved. But even after we're saved, He has no intentions of just allowing us to lay hold of God's vision for your life, for your family. He has no intentions of allowing us as a church to continue on with God's vision without a fight. No intentions whatsoever. You know, it's interesting. I think about this. There has never been just one casualty in this war. Never. There has never. What I mean by that is this. There is not a case in existence, I dare say, to where a Christian has got away from God, 
turned their back on God, whatever the case may be, and it not affected others. One of the biggest lies that we can face as, as, as a uh, Christian, I've, I've been there, talk about spiritual warfare. You ever felt like quitting? It's just too hard. I don't know if I want to keep doing this or not. Well, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. I have too. But, but here's the thing I think about with that. You, 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 you think about this stuff, but one of the things I've told myself is, you know what? It, it wouldn't affect anybody. Wouldn't affect a soul. You know, no, nobody cares. It wouldn't be a big deal. Uh, but that's not true. And it, but it's one of the things that I've, wait a second. It would affect somebody. Somebody would care. Because, and, and does Satan not know this? Because when Satan knows, because when he fell from heaven, you know, we, we read a picture of this in, in the book of Revelation when the Bible says that that dragon with his tail reached out and grabbed a third of the stars and brought them with him as he fell. And the picture there, that's where if you, never, if you didn't know, where you, where you hear that Satan took a third of the angels with him when he fell. Actually comes from Revelation. But the point is, he didn't fall by himself. Nobody does. Nobody does. But I just, I think about uh, Satan and his forces. Um, there is an axis of evil that we fight. There is an alliance of deception. There's a tragic trifecta that every one of us face individually as well as collectively as a church. And I've already mentioned it, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But I want to show you some verses that appeal to this, and I'll try to get through this tonight here. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I, I, it's interesting here, it keeps using that term lust, and it just simply means desire. You know, it's the same concept when the Bible, when the Bible says that Peter, you savor the things of man. You savor the things of this world, basically. In other words, that's where your desire is at. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you turn over real quickly to Matthew chapter number 4, this is where I was going to say I, I want to prove to you that that Satan was trying to get Jesus to take another way out. In Matthew chapter number 4, and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus was led, led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And verse 3, I'm just skipping because I'm trying to make some room. I could have read verse 2 in the time I said that. Verse 3, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But notice what this is right here. This is the lust of the flesh. Remember, he, had been, he, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Command that these stones be made bread. He was appealing to the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. You're hungry. You're desiring food. 
Make this food. Quit, quit this, this commitment to your father. But notice what the Bible says. So Jesus countered with the word of God. Verse 5 says, Then the devil taketh him into the holy city and setteth him up on a pinnacle of the temple. Satan wanted to kill Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus die. But here's how he, here's how he was hoping to see him do it. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. So just let's pause right there a second. He took him to the pinnacle of the, the top of the temple and said, Jump off. Jump off. His next phrase is even more profound, for it is written. See, the devil carries a Bible around with him and knows how to preach. For it is written. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Just because somebody's got a Bible does not mean they're of God. Satan's preaching the Bible right here. I mean, think of, I mean, that's something, isn't it? Satan's just preaching right out of the Bible. He's quoting it right and everything. But he's taking it out of context. And he's applying it the wrong way. But, and, and every time, by the way, Jesus counters with Scripture. He says, it is written, again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. So here it is. The lust of the flesh turned these stones into bread. Here it is. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. Verse 8, I'm sorry, let me back. Again, he taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Jesus, you don't even have to go to the cross. You bow down right now, I'll give you the crown. Now, again, you say, did Satan really have that to offer? To a certain extent, very much no. But there's, there's an extent to where the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. I understand that's the God of this age uh, specifically. But the understanding that uh, many of the kingdoms of this earth are under satanic rule. There's, there's, a, there's a demonic presence in this world. When Satan fell, much of this current world fell into the hands of Satan. Now God has intervened in the midst of all that. He's inserted His spiritual kingdom in the midst of all that. And God's working, and God's moving, and God's blessing, and God's even using the things that Satan's trying to do for His own glory. But that doesn't change the fact that this world is currently not being ruled under the hand of God, as in the things going the way God would have them to go. That's not what's going on right now. But notice this, the Bible says, Get thee behind, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. There's a couple things that we learn in here, and I'll probably get back to it in just a moment. I'll probably kind of try to get to the point of wrapping up with it. But the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It, one of the reasons it's important to be in your Bible, to learn your Bible, to know your Bible, rightly divided, in context, right? And I'm emphasizing that because remember, Satan knows his Bible. But know it right, know what the Bible teaches, is that it's through God's Word that you can fight and counter 
the lies of Satan, the attacks of Satan. But the, but, but, but the fascinating thing to me is, Jesus, look, all you've got to do is just bow down and worship me, and you can have these kingdoms. You don't have to go to the cross. I'll give you the crown right now. Because that's what Satan does. Uh, I, th I think about this. It just... A couple of these things. Have you ever thought this? I'm just going to, I just kind of wrote these down today. Have you ever thought this can't be the will of God because it's too hard? This must not be the will of God because it's too hard. You ever, ever thought anything like that? You ever let something like that come in your mind? Um, how about this? God would never require me to sacrifice what I love the most. But he did Abraham. But, but my point is that, that, that the, 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 Jesus, Peter being speaking for Satan opposed to Jesus is he's trying to, number one, alleviate suffering. He's trying to alleviate waiting. He's trying to alleviate all of this by saying, just bow down and worship me. You know, it, 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 so, so just think of a couple of things. How about this? Have you ever thought that God would never let me be betrayed? God would never allow me to be slandered? If I'm really doing God's will, God won't let anything bad happen to me. As long as I'm honest and do the right thing, nothing bad could happen to me. There's a crowd out there that preaches that stuff. There's a lot of people that like to follow it. But I'm telling you, it's, it, that's, a, <laughs> that's not this world we live in. Because I think about Joseph, amen? He was betrayed. He, uh, he had some bad things happen to him. He was slandered. Hey, he was honest. He did the right thing. How about this? <laughs> I like this one. God gives me the authority over the enemy. The enemy will obey me. There's that crowd out there, you know. Uh, or, or, or maybe they, they will follow me as long as I tell them the truth. And here's what I think about. I think about Moses. <laughs> Moses. He went down with the authority of God Almighty and he said, let my people go. Now we know that Pharaoh eventually did it. So yeah, there's truth to God will do that with the, the power, the authority that we have. But uh, we got to understand that it don't always work that way. What Jesus said about his life purpose. Um, Jesus said this, Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus, with His purpose, I know what I came to do. Don't distract me with anything else. John 10, 18, Jesus said, No man taketh it from me, my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. In other words, he says, don't distract me with anything else. I've come for a purpose. Number two, he says, the Father and the Father alone determines my life mission. I've received this commandment of my Father. He said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He said, my purpose is crystal clear. You know, how about this? When I think about another one of these little things, have you ever thought this? If I obey the Lord, I will be living my best life now. You ever thought that? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of thinking some form of that. 
I've been guilty of saying, Lord, I've surrendered my life to you. Things ought to be better than this. I've little, there's literally been times that I've got in the altar, surrendered my life afresh and anew. And before I got home, things had gone wrong. And I'm thinking, what in the world's that all about? Right? But you think about this. I, d- I believe there's truth to if you obey the Lord, you can live your best life now. As long as you understand that your best life now may include rejection, beatings, betrayal, imprisonment, and death. Because that was Paul. That was Paul. And Paul wouldn't have traded that for anything, by the way. So that's what I'm saying. There's a sense in which, hey, I'm living my best life now. You know, yeah, dude, you just got beat up and thrown in prison. Hey, but this is God's will. I'm good with it. Um, but, but I think about the, this is a, this is an amazing uh, passage here. Second uh, Corinthians 12 verse seven says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, <laughs> a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Think about that. That's, a, that's amazing to me. Uh, Paul is admitting that he started thinking, dude, I'm kind of hot stuff with all this New, New Testament revelation stuff. I'm the guy. I'm the dude letting everybody know and revealing the meaning of the Old Testament and how it applies to today. This Dude, I'm, I'm killing it with these revelations. And so God, and so again, we get a picture with Job, right? Job, Satan says, hey, you know, or God says to Satan, actually, have you considered my servant Job? Then, of course, Satan lets the cat out of the bag, which I love. Satan let the cat out of the bag, and it's been an encouragement to the saints ever since then. When he said, Lord, I can't touch him. Lord, you've put a hedge about him. You've put a hedge about his family. You've put a hedge about everything. I, Lord, I can't, I can't even get near that man's property. Well, the Lord says, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you own his property then. I'll let you own his property. That had to be what happened between Paul, with Paul. Lord, just give me a shot at him. Just give me a shot. I'll get that guy out of the ministry. I'll get him to lose his temper. I'll I'll, I'll do something. Just give me a shot. God says, go ahead, Satan. Mm. Stuck a thorn in him. You know, metaphorically speaking, that's the messenger of Satan. But Paul figured it out because now Paul went to the Lord three times. Don't you know there's folks out there that teach you you if you pray and you really believe it, It'll come to pass. Well, Paul prayed three times and he really believed it. Three times. Lord, remove this thorn from me. Take this thorn from me. God didn't answer. God didn't answer. God didn't. Finally, God said, nope, leaving it there. But don't worry, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says something. I used to say this statement sometimes. Praise God anyhow. Heard it from a preacher down south years ago. Praise God anyhow. Things are going bad. Well, praise God anyhow. You know, 
And, and, and really, that's a pretty good, a lot, that would be good for a lot of us if we could get to that point. Things ain't great things, but you know, praise God anyhow. Praise God in spite of all that's going on. Paul said this, oh no, I've learned something better. I've learned to rejoice in my sufferings because of my suffering. That's something, ain't it? That, listen, that's, that's, a, that's a whole different uh, college class right there, man. Uh, I mean, as far as, I don't mean that you take, I mean, figuratively speaking, that you live and go through to get to that point. Um, Satan speaks. He always talking. Always talking. He speaks. He shows. The Bible says Jesus took him up and he showed him these things. See, Satan will speak to you. He'll show you some things. And he sows those seeds of doubt. In the Garden of Eden, what did the Bible say? When Eve saw the fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a fruit to be desired to make one, she saw it. She heard, she, first she heard him, then she thought about it, and she saw it. She saw it. Satan tries to show you stuff. The lie that Satan has is that there's a be- he, he promises a better way, a quicker way, an easier way, a more fulfilling way. To the, for those who aren't married. <laughs> for those who are married. It's, hey, I mean, what kind of God is God anyway? This is not a very nice God. I mean, why would he not just let you sleep around? It's not very nice of God to say that you should, you know, save yourself for your mate, who and whenever that may be. Boy, that God, I don't know what he's doing there. But, but what, what, what Satan does is he, he gets in our minds and says, man, what, what's God doing? What kind of God? Do you, boy, he's so restrictive and he's so mean and he's so this and that. The Bible says that God's commandments aren't grievous, which is to say this. What is God really trying to do with his commands? He's trying to protect us. He wants your ultimate joy. He wants your ultimate peace. He wants your ultimate fulfillment. But he's always promising a better way, a quicker way, an easier way. But let's look quickly here at the victory and I'll, and I'll be done. I appreciate your patience. Romans 10, 17, the Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing. Interesting, right? Hearing by the Word of God. You're going to hear something. We all hear from Satan. But now here, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So it's almost like the old cartoons, you know. You don't see it as much as you used to, but I can remember, you know, you'd see it on Bugs Bunny and different things like that. And all of a sudden there'd be the, the evil Elmer Fudd on this Elmer Fudd's, you know, left shoulder. And then, uh, then there'd be the angel on this shoulder. And, and each year it's kind of whispering what to do. Well, there's some level of spirituality to that in the sense that the devil's always trying to talk to us through the world, the stuff around us, media, thoughts. The, the messages that we get, he talks, and, and the things that we see, the things that we hear. But God's trying to get us to listen to him too. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, which again was what Jesus responded. Remember, he gave the scripture when he was tempted. First um, John chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. 
And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Even our faith. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Remember all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Jesus conquered those things and we conquered those things in him. We can claim the victory because he's already got the victory over those things. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. How do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Uh, it's God's word. Just, just uh, claim it, believe it. We get faith. Think about this in this context. Hearing the word of God. Second Corinthians 10, 5 is a common verse around here. Casting down imaginations. Images. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So the... The knowledge, everything that high, the, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Now let's bring that into what we're talking about. We're hearing two different things all the time. Our, our flesh, the world, Satan says one thing. God says another thing. Truth says another thing. So what do we do when there comes a thought in our mind, an image in our mind, that is contrary to God's Word? The Bible says we bring it to Christ. We cast it down and we bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. We tear it down. We say, Lord, I want to bring this thought to you right now. I want to confess it as wrong. I want to confess it as foolish. God, I want to cast this thought down right now and I want to claim your truth. So when you have things, and it goes back to the earlier statement, it can be all the way from believing lies about yourself. I'm an overcomer. Well, no, you're not. No, you're not. You see, you're an overcomer. I've seen some overcomers, but you're not an overcomer. Oh, I guess I kind of not an overcomer, am I? I guess I do struggle a lot, you know. And you start going, no, no. Well, well what am I going to do? I'm going to say, well, no, I absolutely am, because God said I am, right? What God says. And so, when things begin to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. We cast them down. We bring, them, we bring every thought into captivity. Um, so that's hearing and seeing because he says casting down imaginations, which is things that we envision, things that we imagine. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 is another one that you hear from time to time around here. For which cause we faint not. In other words, we're not falling out. We're, we're not falling. We're not failing. We're not fainting. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We are commanded, for instance, a couple things we got to know. I think about this when it comes to Christians. We're commanded to love one another, to serve one another, to prefer one another above ourselves. It's, it's interesting when you think about what we're told to do as Christians. We're told as Christians to be long-suffering toward one another. Why would God ever command us to be long-suffering toward one another? Why would, God ever, why would God ever command us to forgive one another? Ever think about that? Why would God ever tell us to, 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 to endeavor for unity 
You know, we'll see this on Sunday with the disciples. Man, that wasn't what those guys were naturally. But on the day of Pentecost, that's where they were. And God showed up and did some miraculous things. But I think about that. So in that context, just share these. I just got a couple more verses and then we're going to wrap up and pray. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 10. This is interesting. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I gave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I the person of Christ. In the person of Christ. He's talking about forgiveness there in this verse, forgiving people. Um, But this is interesting. This is the next statement. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. He's like, I'm going to forgive because I'm not a dummy. I know what Satan's up to. He's trying to get me not to forgive. I'm not ignorant of that. We're not ignorant of his devices. Well, Paul, you may not be, but some of us are sometimes. We forget. If we're not careful, we'll forget. Why do we need to forgive one another? Because we may have allowed ourselves to be Satan's mouthpiece. So I might need somebody to forgive me, amen? And by the way, can I, can I give you some advice? I believe that we ought to ask people for forgiveness. But I'll give you a piece of advice. If you're ever asking somebody for forgiveness, don't do it this way. Connor, I need you to forgive me. What I said to you, I shouldn't have said. But you know, I was just trying to tell you because, I mean, you had done it a hundred times already and whatever, but, but I want you to forgive me for saying it, even though it was your fault all along. You ever seen anybody do that? You ever done something like that? I've seen people do that. I want you to forgive me. You know, but, but, but if you wouldn't have been a jerk, it wouldn't have ever happened. But I, but I hope you can forgive me. No, that's not, what are you doing? Uh, no, forgive me. I was wrong. Now, the other person may have been wrong. But the other person being wrong doesn't make you being wrong right. Does that make sense? You still got to do the right thing. But uh, and then the last verse I want to share, and this has been all over the place. I know it has a little bit, but uh, Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. There's, there's some things I love about that verse. It's a short, short verse. Ephesians 4.27, what is it? Is that five words, six words? Neither give place to the devil. Well, hold up a second. Does that mean that Satan can't just come take a place? He can't. But you can give it to him. I mean, the picture there is of an army trying to protect their ground. Don't give place. Don't back up. Don't allow him in. Don't give place to the devil. And if you have... By God's grace, you can start claiming it back. Amen? Um, and, and, and again, you say, why? This is an odd format. It's an odd service. But as I, as I come into this verse preaching about spiritual warfare, enemies of the vision, folks, this church has been under attack before it was ever started. Do you know that? Yeah. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I can, I, and I won't go into specifics because, uh, uh, but, but I, and, I, and I'm not trying to make it about me either. I really don't want to do that. But I'm just saying that I, 
leading up to the starting of this church, man, I had gone through, I'd moved to town. Things weren't going good as far as they were going slow. I told you that we were trying to do some things in Vermilion that just wasn't going anywhere. Uh, I felt lost, not like unsaved lost, but just, man, I just struggled. And I'm talking about for months and months. And, and I just think about like, uh, the, the, I went through this bout and this is something very, that's unusual for me. That's the first time in my life that ever, that I'd ever gone through a serious bout of depression to where what I was going through emotionally started actually making me physically sick. And all of a sudden I could not get better. And I was like sick for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, physically, emotionally struggling, you know, and, and I can mention a hundred other things just to say that, just to make the point that before this church was ever started, it was under attack before we ever, ever had a first service. And it has been under attack for the last 12 and a half years or however long we've been here. 100% every day, every week. Cause I say that to say this, that it's still under attack. And I just think, I just felt led tonight to pause and just remind us, most of the time we, I'll mention it and we go on. And I'm kind of doing that a little bit tonight too. But I just want to identify the enemy a little bit. I want to try to get us to recognize the enemy, but understand that as Satan has fought this church, God has given the victory in this church. He's done it again and again and again. Because by God's grace, ultimately, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. Satan can attack all he wants to attack, but by the grace of God, like a tree planted by the rivers of water, I shall not be moved. Amen. Come hell, come high water, come fire, come flood. By the grace of God, the church stands. The church stands. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And this is his church. And it's one of the things that as I bring this to a close and as I, we get ready to, to close in prayer, it's one of the things that I think about in terms of when I look to God, one of the comforts, and you know that I've mentioned this a good amount of the time here recently. Well, really going back probably about a year or so, but I just, just hearing it, I've always known it because like I told you before, I've, I used to, there used to be a Bible that I'd keep open to the passage where Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But more recently, I've taken a lot of comfort in the fact that something that we know, but just saying it blesses my heart that this church is not our church, really. It is in a sense, but ultimately this church is Jesus's church. It is. It's His. Uh, the, the goals are His. The visions are His. The purpose is His. Every bit of it's His. It's His church. But there's also, so that's comforting in and of itself. But another comfort I take in the church being His church is that uh, the problems we face, guess whose problems they are? They're His. They're His problems. Uh, so He's going to take care of it. Amen. Ultimately, but I was still, I'm still bothered enough by the battle, by the attacks, 
And if you're sitting there thinking, man, this is all about my, you, you don't know. <laughs> you do not know. There's attacks on many fronts. So, oh, no, preacher. I just told you. It's good. I mean, God's going to bless. Amen. God's going to work. His church will stand. Uh, but I'm telling you, there's battles on many fronts. But by God's grace, this is, this is a passage I just am so excited to share. I didn't, I didn't tell the guys about it. I, I wasn't thinking about sharing it at that time. But it's one that I've gone to. I, I keep going back to this well here. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. The Bible says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Jehoshaphat has the enemy coming against him. O God, wilt thou not judge them? Here's what he says. For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. I acknowledge that. This is something, again, for months now, I just acknowledge this. Every time I get to an overwhelming place, I come to the place. I, I had the privilege of uh, going down and being a part of a prayer meeting down at Her Health not too long ago. But I thought about these same verses because of the fight for life and the ministry there. You better believe they're facing enemies. They're facing battles as well. If you're in the ministry, you're facing battles. And by the ministry, I don't mean uh, just being a pastor. I mean, if you are involved in the work of God, you are going to face battles. But here's what it is. We need to acknowledge that we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Not because it's the people. Not because it's somebody in Washington, D.C. Folks, our battle's not with flesh and blood. We have no might against this great company that come against us. How about this part? Neither know we what to do. Well, that's encouraging. We're not strong enough to fight the enemy, and we don't know what to do. But that's okay. You want to know why? Because Jehoshaphat says, but our eyes are upon thee. Lord, I'm looking to you. I look around. We don't have the might. I look within. No, it's not me. Lord, I don't know what to do. But Lord, our eyes are upon thee, and I love... What the Lord then says, and I believe it's in verse 15, that he said, that same chapter, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. You ready? Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. Remember what I said? The battle is not yours but the Lord's, but God's. Amen. That's 2 Chronicles 20, 12, and 15. And you could just go study that passage there with the Jehoshaphat and everything. So with that, we will now close with an altar of prayer. You pray as you feel led, but I want to especially pray and ask if you'll pray along with me, kind of along those lines. Lord, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Our eyes are upon thee. And then just to acknowledge and to claim that promise, the battle is not ours, but it's the Lord's. Do you got some battles going on in your life? Individually? I know you do. I know you do. But uh, so those are, those are willing. Let's all stand. And for those that would be willing to come and we'll close out tonight in prayer.